1: Hello, and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast series, Hot Topic and Chill. Today's guest is Kathleen Stock, who's a professor of philosophy out in Britain, England. She has recently, or semi-recently, I mean, I guess, tectonically speaking, everybody's recent, but she's been recently speaking about the intersection of trans rights and women's rights and the impact that self-identification has on the communities that are thus being self-identified with. We talk about gender-critical feminism, queer theory, and the LGBT community, or community and the different changes that are going on right now with regards to society's attitude towards this very quick advancement of certain sorts of rights and the steamrolling of any discussion, any critical discussion at least, about them. So here you go.
0: I teach ethics <laughs> oh. and I teach uh, aesthetics um, oh. this year. So I'm. my background is um, fiction. So I've been writing on the philosophy of fiction for an imagination for years. Um, but I've now decided, I mean, I've also, so I've had a kind of sideline in um, an interest in feminist philosophy, and I've written some things on sexual objectification. Mm. And, uh, within that, there's a school of thought that thinks that what it is to be a woman is essentially tied to what it is to be sexually objectified. Mm. So um, I got interested in that that although i'm not sure i totally agree with it but um Hmm. i've published a couple of things on that and then i've made a decision recently given in the light of my sort of political activities that i'm going to focus um in future publications on um feminist issues around sexuality and gender Mm -hmm. so i'm actually writing something on the nature of sexual orientation at the moment um and what that means in this new world
1: yeah and how that informs discourse or how that informs, I guess, bodies and and relationships between different groups or or just different individuals? Yes,
0: absolutely. I mean, it's not a question you can ask in a vacuum from those sorts of questions. You have to think about how um, existing cultural and social forces like homophobia and misogyny interact with categories um, and specifically... Hmm thinking about lesbianism and what that means. So, and I'm thinking about the law. So not just social and political ca- um, categorization, but legal rights and, and, I mean, just to give you one example, um, thinking about whether les- the, ca- the category of lesbians can include um, trans women with penises has a practical implication on what counts as um, consent. Um, on what counts as rape by deception because if trans women with penises are lesbians then that or are admitted as lesbians into the legal category of lesbians then it becomes less clear that they've deceived mm. anybody if they don't announce that fact to new mm. sexual partners um have stuff have like that
1: thought much about the the psychology or the the effects um the psychological effects of this category of the collapsing of or the broadening of woman into trans trans woman. And then the broadening of the category lesbian into the category, uh, I guess X, Y lesbian
0: psychology for who, I, I guess
1: for the community, like the, the lesbian community, does that, does that have a kind of a culture in and of itself? Or is it just a whole bunch of different individuals that are very different?
0: I am. I mean, I'm, I'm a little sceptical generally of the word community, particularly because it gets bandied around in this area so um, freely and is used mm. rhetorically, like the LGBT community, yeah. our community, you are harming our community. It's a bunch mm. of people sat on you know, various computer terminals scattered across the world, <laughs> calling themselves a community, uh, a community of outrage, perhaps. But... Mm. Um, on the other hand, obviously, there are there is a genuine sort of there are communities, there are lesbian communities in particular geographical locations. Um, And I think it's radically changed their social lives. Um, The way things have gone, I think I think you can just you just need to ask them and, and lots of them say it. and that I think I said in one of my earliest pieces of writing something about, um, something I, I can't even remember exactly, but something about male energy in lesbian spaces, and lots of people took this took hmm. this phrase out, well not out of context, but they just took it and kind of ridiculed it, absolutely ridiculed it, hmm. um like yeah, we've debunked this clearly, we've debunked this in nineteen eighty five you know hmm. sort of if you could debunk that sort of claim by theory <laughs> because it is a matter of how people feel uh and Um, it's just empirically obvious that some quite a lot of lesbians given that it was always so liberating to start with to have a female only space and we had so rarely had it um, and we so rarely have it not even just lesbians just just women so rarely have female only spaces that aren't in the home Um, Mm -hmm. so if they go that makes a difference of course it makes a difference to people Um, and not everybody cares i'm not i'm not making any general claim about you know yeah. the soul of the lesbian because there's no such thing but some people care yeah the the, the
1: concept of male energy and female energy uh I, I don't know how how apt philosophy is for describing that but i think that fiction or literature or at least narrative has the mm-hmm. capacity to uh events certain qualities of genders um Do you agree or disagree with that like I'm talking about like mythology and then just all of at least English literature?
0: Um, yeah, sure. I mean I when I say energy, I don't I'm not making taking any particular stand on whether that's a kind of innate quality is aligned to biological sex or whether it's socialized into Mm -hmm. us, but nonetheless um, Never mind about that. Um fiction's brilliant at explaining all sorts of things about ourselves to ourselves. Um, because, and particularly fictional narratives, cause they give you um, good at ex- explaining stuff about psychology because they give you an opportunity to go into someone's head, um, hmm. kind of, uh, trying to evoke imagery or the phenomenology of being that person yes. and what it feels like to be that person and an academic texts. That's not their job. I mean, they couldn't. They couldn't do it if they mm. tried. And, and I mean, you get this sort of hybrid autoethnography yeah. tries to do a bit of both. But I prefer myself to keep the lines clear. Um, but also, the other thing to say is that, of course, fiction feeds our conceptions of gender. So it's, it's hermeneutic. It's not just a recording device. It's mm. also. Um, you know, conceptions of mythology quite obviously are influencing conceptions of mas- masculinity and femininity. Um, and as and and I can't mm-hmm. think of an example off the top of my head, but I'm sure that, like, if I did think about it, I could find a novel that changed our conception of what it was to be um, a woman or a man.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you think... Do you find much use in the concept of archetypes? And if if you do, do you think that they're emergent or emergent? um, Like there's some sort of subconscious thing that comes up, or do you think that they're, they're a construct? There's something that that's built and then just
0: in what's, in what context?
1: Well, archetypes like, um, like, like, like mythology presenting like these very dense characters. Story
0: archetypes.
1: Yeah. Or, or icons. Um, are they, are they ways of describing, uh, the patterns of our psychologies or are they constructs that channel and educate our psychologies and and our societies
0: I don't know I think that's probably quite a stark contrast I mean the only thing I can think of to say that's remotely relevant is that I think um, the fact that stories habitually exhibit certain patterns um, probably Shows that there are general tendencies to value certain kinds of narrative structure, like um, you know the the hero's journey with the obstacle and the release yeah. and the overcoming and all that. Um, but I don't know about I don't know about archetypes. It's not that doesn't sound like my sort of my sort of claim to be honest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm just, I I guess I'm kind of wondering more broadly if fiction can be used to argue or to, uh, to make a proof or to, uh, or at least to be used in social discourse in order to, um, change narratives or reinforce narratives. And if you think that it has a role in the current, uh, in the current debate and, if it does if it not being included is kind of giving us over to lower forms oh, I see. Of discourse.
0: well I think I think literature is a force for good um, generally speaking and I think humanities education is essential to um, hmm. producing the kind of individuals we want um, in politics for instance um, because it gives us this uh, I mean so I have a kind of um, no doubt a hackneyed kind of view, but I think it gives us genuine insight into other kinds of possibilities. Um, hmm. Particular authors, not just literature generally, I guess, but particular authors, humanist kind of authors. Um, and I definitely think I'm a better person for having read so many novels so that I'm against any kind of really quick narrative that says, oh, it's all made up. What could you possibly learn from that? So, yeah, I'm not learning about particular people in terms of facts, but I'm learning about possibilities, um moral possibilities. Uh, and I'm kind of honing my understanding of general general psychology of human beings and how it's possible to feel culturally inflected, no doubt. Um, hmm. So I think that's really, really important, and um it might not be a direct benefit, and it might be it might be really hard to capture. And to kind of quantify, mm-hmm. but i I think it's important, and I'm worried a bit worried that the more instrumentalized the education system starts to look, and the more outcome oriented um, mm-hmm. politicians are in terms of funding universities, the less they're going to value the humanities. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm worried i'm not I'm worried not just for humanities but for hum- for but for humanity, <laughs> if we get rid of the humanities. Yeah. In, in
1: America, there's a, kind of an ongoing um, crisis. It seems like in the humanities, and I know that that's kind of a, a term that's been bandied about within the academy—a crisis of the humanities. Um, but specifically, just with what's going on very recently, with it seems like the humanities have been—I don't—either infiltrated or bent towards producing a certain sort of political standing in the students. That's very um, very apparent, at least on the west coast of the United States. And do you find that that's true, um, more or less, or is that kind of a, a small phenomenon?
0: Um, well, I'm familiar with that view, and I'm familiar with instances which would look like they confirmed it, even in Britain, but I generally think it's hmm. the narrative can be a bit overdone okay um but I mean I'm not I'm not familiar with west coast American institutions but I am familiar with my own which is a progressive um, 60s university that modeled itself on Berkeley so um, and which you know really markets itself as a um, forward-looking uh, inclusive university uh, what I think is yeah, for some academics that's the case. There's some academics for whom their activism is very, very um pronounced in their scholarship. But I you know, someone could say the same about me. So
1: hmm.
0: it tends to that that complaint tends to be parceled up with a rejection of the politics. <laughs> you yeah. know, nobody really complains about the activism and the scholarship going closely hand-in-hand when they agree with the politics. Uh, Or maybe they do, but I don't see that so often. Um, I'm generally against trying to inculcate in students any particular um, political position. I would certainly never insist on one. Um, so I always tell students, and I'm not alone in this, I think most philosophers, academic philosophers do say to students, you know, you are totally free to disagree with me. Um, you're encouraged to disagree with me actually because part of what you're doing is honing your argumentative skills by disagreeing with me. And yeah. I've learned loads from students that way. Students have disagreed with my position and I've actually thought, yeah, they're right, actually. That happens quite often. So, um, and I and I don't think I'm alone. I, that's definitely the case for my department. It's the case for most philosophers in the UK I've ever met, and I'm pretty mm. sure it's the case for other humanities too. So, what I think happens is a small proportion of academics have over prominent um, effects, or at least appear more prominent than they are. Have um, it you know, it only takes a few people to chill chill the environment Yeah, um, we, everyone else is just quietly getting on with their teaching, teaching yeah. in a perfectly okay way but a few people on the internet can be really really vocal and um, suddenly everyone else kind of feels like they've shut down, had to shut down a bit I think
1: mm-hmm. Have you felt under threat by the views that you put out online being used to you know, uh, silence you and, or affect your job? Uh,
0: at times (laughs) yes i have yeah i have because there's a there's a remarkable number of people that want me to shut up um and yes i have but so far i mean i i have to that i mean that could it's very hard when you're in emotion under attack to feel to see things clearly obviously you get you can get quite emotional and feel insecure and um when in my, I'm in my saner moments, I just keep reminding myself that I have academic freedom. Um, I'm not asking anybody to agree with me. You know, I keep telling students they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I work in a culture of, which basically thrives on disagreement. So, you know, I'll go off and give a paper next month and the first hour will be the paper and the second hour will be just academics telling me why I'm, why I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And I have to defend myself. So I'm working in that tradition and, um, Hmm. I value that tradition. I think my employers value that tradition. Um, so it's all good.
1: (laughs) Do you think that this issue, uh, that gets you under attack on the internet, uh, do you think it's always been this much of a hot button issue? I guess it would be, we can specify to the trans, uh, trans rights and its intersection with female rights or
0: yeah of course I mean that's the only context in which I'm interested I have no desire to like just lay into trans people and I'm not doing that now um, the my interest came about because of a proposed change in the law in, in the UK which um, still could happen I mean it's it, there's been a public consultation so the public were invited to consult and I thought I would contribute to that discussion as many other people were from the other side And the law was was being well. The law there was. It was proposed or is proposed that there will be a change to the Gender Recognition Act, so that you no longer have to live for two years in your preferred gender, and you no longer to have to get any kind of medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria in order to get a legal sex change. Okay. So you know you have to note. I mean. no doubt sounds defensive, but I was never and have never argued for a rolling back of any gender recognition act. I'm arguing for a change to the current one. I mean, a lot of my critics will make out that I want to get rid of any kind of legal recognition for transgender people at all. That's just not true. What I've been specifically concerned about, one of the things I've been concerned about, is self-ID as the medium or the means um, to gender recognition, because it gives you access to this range of resources and spaces mm-hmm. um, and that should not be given lightly mm-hmm. because females are in there and females were sexually vulnerable. They're also discriminated against. So in, in the UK, we have a sex-based uh, legal protection built into the uh, law, the Equality Act, um, but it's very unclear to legal scholars how that interacts with this new proposed change. Mm-hmm. And the worry is that we won't be able to protect sex-based rights if male-bodied people can just self-identify into the legal category of female which is what the law says or will say if this comes about so that was my impetus and um i've forgotten the question now <laughs>
1: well, is what why is this topic so fraught what why does why does wanting uh, to argue this through Creating uh, like this riptide of people just trying to not have the argument?
0: I mean, yeah, it's a really good question because it doesn't seem to me, it continually, I mean, it just doesn't seem to me that I'm arguing for anything bad. I mean, I, I think there should be third spaces for trans women who are fearing for um, their safety. You know, that's part of the argument is, oh, we should be able to come into female spaces because we're at risk from men. Well, I think we could solve that one, (laughs) you know, if we resourced it properly. And I've said that before. um, Hmm. Generally speaking, there's I I just don't know. I just don't know why there's this failure of imagination when it comes to the female perspective, Hmm. like why it's much, much easier to imagine the vulnerability of of a trans woman you know, in a in a in a dormitory or a hostel or a prison than it is to imagine a rape survivor who where you know, in the context where the law says that any male could enter yeah. self I d using self ID. I mean, the other thing to say is in Britain that never mind what the law says, social institutions have already leapt ahead. So self I D is the means by which you can enter a range of spaces already, including prisons. Hmm. Um so you know, there's there's at least twenty five, um, you know, surgically intact male people in female prisons in the UK, um, and but not just there. There's host, there's youth hostels and there's changing rooms and there's sleeper carriages. You know, so it's already happening, and I don't know why we can as a society we can't recognize that that's going to cause a lot of anxiety given that we already know the the high levels of sexual assault we we know we know that um in prison most women in prison have suffered sexual abuse like that's a recognized statistic but we don't seem to mind putting Mm. people with penises in amongst them because we're very concerned with the perspective of the people with penises yeah and i think we got to think about both
1: Um, It seems like this just came out of nowhere. And it's now that we're trying to talk about it. And it seems like the political players that put this in motion did a really good job of just getting it out there and implementing it before debate could happen. And now mm. that the debate is happening, there's this other movement of just trying to silence and then using all these terms like the phobias and accusing everybody of bigotry just for wanting to actually think things through, which is which is actually bigoted to to want to shut down discussion. That's the most bigoted thing. But, Who knows what bigoted even means anymore? I know. <laughs> after Trump, we <laughs> that that word's basically useless. But... <laughs> you
0: no, know, you're phobic. You no, know, you're phobic. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I'm phobic. Yeah, I mean, I, where it, it has its roots in older discussions. I mean, there was within mm. um, the gay community, as they say, or at least the gay academic community, there was a big discussion. I, I think in the '80s about whether transsexuals could count as women and whether they could count as lesbians. Um, but it, mm. I guess it didn't really get taken up in any way by wider. Society, lawmakers, policymakers. I mean, we didn't even have gay marriage then, so why were we going to worry about that? I mean, obviously, transsexuals have uh, a legal. Sorry, I should correct myself. Obviously, transsexuals had uh, and have um, the ability to change sex legally. And I don't know what the history of that is in the states is. I don't know what mm. the timings was, but it was relatively early on here. Um, But that was only ever envisaged as like something that would happen for people who were who were going to make a meaningful surgical transition, and it was only ever envisaged for um, male to female transsexuals. So it's Mm. it. I think the numbers estimated was it was going to be about five thousand people got a gender recognition certificate. Nobody could have anticipated, I think, this sort of social change where being trans now has nothing really to do necessarily with any intention to have surgery or take hormones yeah. and it's the you know it's the outer expression of an inner feeling
1: yeah
0: and the demand the law recognise the inner feeling as the mm. the criterion of rights yeah that's yeah i i not i mean i, I wonder but,
1: if that doesn't have something to do with the exposure of more and more people at this point for probably around 20 years to the internet and to interacting with people via the means of a virtual interface where you could just model a certain behavior or just present yourself and you are what you are presented uh, which which would get us all in the mindset or get a lot of people in the mindset that I can just it's not pretending anymore if I'm doing this all the time, if I'm living this way all the time on this internet field, but mm. that that virtual field is fundamentally different than the physical field. and I think that that this that might have I, I agree or disagree with me, but that might have this, uh, something to do with the decoupling almost out of nowhere of, uh, the medical side of things or the physical side of things with regards to transgender and, and just going purely into self-ID that makes sense to more people because we, we dwell in a world where self-identification is identification.
0: Um, yes. I mean, I, 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 I'm was a little bit, I've heard this kind of narrative that hmm. sometimes talk about transhumanism as this um multifaceted kind of cultural trend in the west um orchestrated by uh white males in silicon valley kind of thing but as we as we become more (laughs) locked into the um internet and to the cloud and whatever we become less uh centered in our physical selves and and then they, this gets all tied into this big conspiracy theory, and I'm not you know I don't believe in conspiracy theory so i'm 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 wary of these big meta narratives. however, a lot of what you say there seems to me to make sense um certainly the internet just provides us social media provides us with an opportunity to make a new version of ourselves that no i mean no one really ever has to corroborate you can have thousands and thousands of followers and they've never met you who can applaud you for you know saying certain sorts of things you can have a anime avatar you know you can uh mm-hmm. present yourself as cute and um sexy mm. and whatever you want really and no one's really there to say hang on a minute <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't get much feedback you don't get much sort of you or you you tend only to get confirming feedback yeah um rather than i'm sure you get disconfirming feedback when you walk outside your door but we don't have to walk outside our door so much these days do we we can have yeah everything brought to us so i'm sure there's an element of that and there's also obviously the element of sharing ideas and there's what the you know, internet being a capitalist thing always looking for the latest thing the newest thing the coolest thing mm-hmm. um shock most shocking thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh i have no doubt that the sort of huge number the huge rise in um in trans teenagers g- female teenagers female to male um is partly a social trend you know and once the internet chews up and spits it out <laughs> and it's no longer cool there'll be something else <laughs> you mm, know those numbers mm. those, i think yeah. those numbers will because partly it's a function of the new the shock of the new, sort of thing yeah, yeah. Um, but
1: if that gets that instituted was... in law, then that's going to have. Uh... Well, yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, we shouldn't be making laws based on social trends. <laughs> I don't
1: think. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe not short trends, but like longer trends. I mean, oh, the law yeah, okay. is a social construct. <laughs> let's so let's
0: wait, hundred years and see whether, you know, being non-binary is still a thing. <laughs> mm,
1: mm-hmm. Do you have you studied queer theory? I believe in your Twitter bio you say lesbian, not queer.
0: I think there's some really amazing aspects of queer theory uh, depending on the theorist but why I say queer uh, lesbian not queer is because um, the net effect of um, queerness becoming a commodity mm. on the internet and amongst kids and and um, you know being taken up by massive corporations like Twitter is that Um, lesbian voices in particular get lost Um, so as 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 is always the case given what i take to be facts about misogyny
1: Hmm.
0: females won't you know in a space where there's males and females female voices will get slightly drowned out i mean obviously there are exceptions but i'm talking general trends Hmm. and that's the case in the lgbt community as well and the more the more letters you add to the lgbtq plus community the more people get into it actually the less prioritized females and homosexuals are (laughs) because now that that community contains people that i would call heterosexual (laughs) who are in no in heterosexual relationships um, with someone of the opposite sex.
1: So, but they, but they have a, a a gauze of. Uh, I, I guess it it seems like on that level, it's just kind of like almost a an aesthetic uh, choice um, that that's then somehow sexualized or or put on the spectrum of sexuality.
0: It's just this kind of consumerist culture just emptying out. Um, political movements that were forces for good originally of meaning Mm. by commodifying them and making it cool and making pride something that everyone wants to go to. And also, I mean, Hmm. I think there's this, um, in a sense, one of the effects of um, a feminist discourse. I mean, I am a feminist, but I recognize that feminist discourse becoming popularized means that there's been an awful lot of um just sheer vitriol directed towards the straight the white the male and if i was young i'd want to identify out of that too you know mm, i'd be mm. like i'm queer <laughs> i don't you know i'm not one of them those those bogeymen um hmm. Now, I don't have a kind of politics that says that as soon as you're, you know, that you can differentiate between people in those terms politically hmm. um, reliably. Um, as a category. Or, of course, you can make generalizations about white power and straight power, but it's not a reason to actually actively attack someone for being white and straight when you know nothing else about them. So um, hmm. I, I wouldn't participate in that to start with, or at least if I have in the past, I'm sorry for it because i think one of the net effects is everything gets more and more polarized um and people do sort of seek refuge in these hmm. queer this queer movement um because they they don't want to be with the straights and the conservatives and the trump supporters so they want to be yeah. somewhere
1: else yeah and with self-id you can just start identifying as uh, a a black trans lesbian i mean me myself i could just go through a certain sort of process and start yeah, to you
0: couldn't you couldn't yet be a black
1: okay so so <laughs> you but, but you, you make this lesbian. argument in one of your papers or in and i think it's the economist article where the, the, there's a very shir- sharp line about race like race is not yeah, yet right so right
0: so yeah i mean i because race is
1: rooted theory. in the physical, whereas a sexuality is is more subjective. It's more rooted uh, in. in I
0: think well the 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 thought that sexuality the, the thought that trans women can be lesbians really comes from the prior thought that trans women can be women. So it's yeah. it's it's like okay, I'm a woman and I fancy other women, so I must be a lesbian. Yeah. It's a kind of it's a deduction from the initial premise that one is lesbian and one fancies. Uh, sorry that one is a woman and one fancies other woman. so I don't think it's directly because sexuality is more transient but it certainly hmm. I guess doesn't help my cause that sexuality is something that's usually so hidden or can be really hidden you know you cannot know the facts about someone's sexuality in the normal course of things whereas race arguably although I mean you really don't know you can't yeah. tell much of race from just looking at someone either Um, But the reason there should be, I mean, the reason why it's completely inappropriate for white people to be able to identify as some other colour is because of the history of inequality. I mean, this is not an original thought, but the history of inequality says that um, there have been, there's a special history of being black in America or being black in Mm -hmm. Britain that white people should not colonise. Now, Mm -hmm. I think we can ask that question about being female given the facts of misogyny and patriarchy, but this goes back to your prior question. Why do people not see the parallel? I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Have we, I, I don't know how this almost feels like a taboo territory, but um, with regards to medically assessing someone's uh, gender uh, as opposed to their sex, um, there's that concept of gender dysphoria, uh, that that so far as I know, there we haven't been able to assess it completely objectively. Um, I don't I don't know to what extent have we ha, has there been at any time in history or in the medical establishment where they've uh, been able to diagnose one's sexuality, or is that is that something like you can take a picture of in the brain? Um,
0: you can I mean you can um. The, the gender, sorry, just to be clear, that gender dysphoria has got. I I would be I would be saying I say <laughs> that gender dysphoria is different from sexuality. Like, I think so. You know, in answer to the second bit, um, if you think of sexual orientation as a stable pattern of of sexual arousal, okay, like towards a type of thing or type of person. Hmm like not just passing like one day you fancy this another day you fancy that but like over the course of a long period you tend to fancy this type of person and the traditional way to do it is through um you know homosexual is biological sex you know someone of a male biological sex fancy someone of the same sex so it's normally categorized in terms of sex and these days we're told it shouldn't be categorized that way i disagree but um can you so in just sorry to get to your question scientists can measure sexual arousal they have all sorts of ways of doing it they can look at cortical activity they can do skin Ooh. conduct tests okay um they can show pictures <laughs> and and check your responses so in that sense it's not that hard i mean of course we're not going to do it for most people that would be vastly intrusive yeah, and I have desire. They probably should. already know what they're attracted. to. Yeah, they to. they probably know. I mean, there's there's a long history of people repressing facts about their own sexuality to mm-hmm. themselves because they know, in some level, the pay you know the the, the consequences mm-hmm. will be terrible for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a long history of conversion therapy. I mean, I'm reading a book in the moment about um, late 19th and early 20th century attempts to. Change gay people's orientation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that seems pertinent to this kind of modern-day context. Really, I think all that material really needs to be assessed in the light of what's happening
1: now. Uh, in what, uh, why why so?
0: Well, because um, because a lot of young people who who are questioning their gender or also questioning their sexuality simultaneously. Yeah. And they can be trying to work out whether they're a lesbian woman or a gay, or a straight man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, there's a, a tendency in um, some literature about this to say that uh, when dealing with, trans kids we should be adopting what they call an affirmative model or a model of affirmation which is basically not to question um the conclusion that they're trans but
1: Hmm.
0: arguably and i have written about this if you don't question at least supportively question i'm not suggesting anything in you know um unethical i'm talking about therapeutic gentle supportive questioning if you don't do that Hmm. then arguably there's some relation to a kind of conversion going on there because this, Hmm. this person could have been gay and they're not, uh, or at least under the new narrative, they're not. So Hmm. there's an interaction there that we're not supposed to talk about. Um, As soon as anyone does try and talk about it, there's an enormous counter response from trans activists to say, you know, you're out of your mind, you're evil. How dare you? You know, uh, but I think that's a really important question because it's, uh, you know there's a there's a causal relationship between um what we would have called lesbian being lesbian and um being um mm-hmm. a young uh f, tomboy-ish. f to N, some, yeah well, i mean it's not just being a lesbian but tomboyish girls that like girls are transitioning in big numbers
1: <laughs> yeah
0: much and bigger numbers than used to
1: do you think that that is um I I I guess it's a case by case thing. Do you find that problematic and why why do you find that problematic or do you think that that's just a natural uh, way of coping with I guess maybe heteronormativity like yeah. maybe that's a force of
0: Yeah, no exactly. I mean, like I say why that there, there's it's totally understandable why people quite often want to transition, but I think and I think for some kids undoubtedly transitioning is the right thing to do so i'm at odds with the feminists who will be watching this and hissing at me for saying it but i think for some kids it seems like it is the right thing to do and that's what the evidence apparently suggests but that's different from saying you shouldn't question um, you know anybody who thinks that any child or teenager who thinks they're trans so why it's problematic if you don't question is that the outcomes can be so physically um, damaging or at least precarious puberty blockers. Nobody really knows what they do. There's arguments that they destroy bone density. They affect kidney function. Um, cross sex hormones have their own issues. Cutting your breasts off (laughs) has its own issues. You know, you, you can't just grow another pair. Hmm. Um, people get to two regret. (laughs) You know, I just don't think we should be, Hmm. um, Blindly accepting, let alone funding as in the UK where there's charities yes. that you know completely support this all all of the things I've just described and advocate for them and lobby politicians for them. I think that's a terrible state of affairs, and I'm shocked that it's got this far. But have that's, you looked that's into
1: so Have you looked into why there's so much money and such a, a huge force or at least a targeted force on this issue?
0: Well I mean in Britain there's a few prominent charities and they've been very effective at fundraising. Um, there's a charity called Mermaids that's recently attracted a lot of uh, criticism but they um they have a very prominent CEO who who has a kind of I don't know I guess it must look like a kind of romantic tale about their trans daughter and what she went through to transition and what they all had to go through. And it's, it's just sort of attracted a lot of publicity and Hmm. she's become very well connected. But, um, there's another charity called Stonewall that, um, was initially set up to advocate primarily for the lesbian and gay community. And, you know, one theory is they, they got everything they could possibly have wanted. They got, um, gay marriage, they got adoption rights, they got, Hmm. um, you know the things that they'd set out for, and then they ran out of things to <laughs> to advocate for. They had this big platform, they had a lot of influence with politicians, and they needed a new theme. And trans stuff just came up at the right time. So, hmm. I mean, Istanbul tran- is not so concerned. I should clarify with the the issue of what should happen to children. They they mainly talk about adults. Okay, but they don't say anything critical about what's happening to potentially gay children either, which I think is a, hmm. a massive lacuna for an LGB organization. I think they should be concerned about what's happening to um, young gay children as they question their own gender and sexuality simultaneously.
1: Yeah. I wonder if, um, I, I've read a couple articles and I, I've, done, uh, I've, I've spoken with uh, one gay man who, who was making the argument that, that gay men should leave the LGBT Community, it, it no longer serves them, and it's actually starting to attack them uh, because of certain sorts of uh, political, uh, I guess, uh, behaviors, such as you know, you blame the person who has the the least oppression for all the everybody else's oppression. Um, so he he proposed the, this thing called gexit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder, I wonder if um, if like, have you outlined like the the tensions uh, between the homosexual community and and this uh, this new uh, the the trans or the the gender uh, multiplicity community and and the tensions of or the erosion of homosexuality as a as a protected category that is that's now kind of being swallowed up is that something that is happening or that you perceive happening?
0: Oh, I think it's happening. It's happening but it's happening mostly to lesbians and that's because so Hmm. you know some trans women are attracted to males like men cis men um and if they hadn't transitioned i guess they would have counted as gay men but quite a lot of trans women are female attracted they're attracted to to women and they were attracted before their transition we would have called them heterosexual (laughs) and they're still attracted to females now Hmm. now They're in the LGBT community. They're being advocated for by the the LGBT lobbying groups. And that's quite strange, because that's not a matter of sexuality. I mean, like I say, I don't think they became lesbian the minute they transitioned. I think lesbians Hmm. is female homosexual, and that's a political category we need to keep. Um, So uh, yes, I see it being eroded. I find it really peculiar that others don't too. So for instance, um, I saw an academic conference advert the other day for a conference coming up in Brighton. It's focusing on lesbian erasure. So this is this sort of mantra that we hear that lesbians are being erased. You know, their clubs are going, their pubs are going, their political representation is going. So I thought, oh, that's great. There's a conference dedicated to lesbians and to lesbian erasure. How amazing. And then I read down And of course, it's all that very, very prominently, we are trans inclusive, trans lesbians are lesbians. And then I read down to the sort of list of potential topics that people could talk about. And one of them was how to make gay spaces more trans inclusive. And they included bedrooms. So... You know, whose bedrooms are they talking about? They're not talking about gay male, but gay gay men's bedrooms. They're talking yeah. about lesbian bedrooms. We as a, co- mm. as a community, there's that word again, are expected to bear the brunt of the sexual interests of trans women who now declare themselves to be women and so therefore must be lesbian because they still fancy women, so they must be lesbian. They don't want to sleep with straight women because they're straight and you can't sleep with a straight woman because a straight woman fancies men and they're not Mm. men. So lesbians are sort of the, the focus of this interest. And there's this discussion about the, the cotton ceiling, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but this concept that the cotton ceiling, which is kind of obviously a bastardization of the glass ceiling, which is the idea that women in the workplace, um, can't get promoted past a certain stage. Now it's been transmuted into the cotton ceiling, which is that trans women can't get past the the, knickers <laughs> of, the of the lesbians. Yeah. Um, and you know, I I was absolutely shocked. Literally, I'm not often shocked, but literally shocked to see that Stonewall the other day in a, a there was an expose in the Times saying that Stonewall are sponsoring this trans woman who ran a workshop in Toronto called overcoming the cotton ceiling. Now Stonewall, our major charity that advocates for LGBT (laughs) is sponsoring this person to become a, on their transgender leadership scheme. So, you know, they're paying someone who ran a workshop about overcoming the cotton ceiling. And yet they are allegedly an organization that advocates for lesbians and i i mean that's why i think the l needs to get out <laughs> because the l's mm. interests are just not being represented and this discussion mm. i'm having this this area that i'm discussing you'll never see it mentioned except to be denied you know there's lots of evidence of it but i you know i will be portrayed for saying this as hysterical as poisonous you know, it's paranoid. And yet I'm, I don't think I'm any of those things. I don't think anyone that knows me thinks I'm any of those things. I'm just looking at the evidence. I see. Yeah.
1: It's, uh, I, I have problems with, Oh, well, there's a lot of concepts I have problems with because they get bandied about too much, but rape culture is one that I'm wary of because it seems to be used too broadly. But this mm-hmm. seems like a, an instance of like coercion, uh, and specifically, uh, basically forcing somebody into a sexual act that they don't really want to
0: do well i even i don't say it's forcing so i think actually sometimes radical feminists overplay their hand a bit by saying that we're being forced to have sex we're not we're not being forced but that's not the point Mm. i mean i'm sure somebody's being forced you know rape does happen but generally speaking that's not my worry it's more insidious than that it's about um it's about people, given facts, what I take to be facts about female socialization and, the fact, and particularly young females and young lesbians finding their own sexuality out in queer communities. They are in communities with trans women who say, hey, I'm a lesbian too, you should sleep with me. And it's not that they're gonna force them to, but there is a social kind of stigma if you say no i'm sorry i'm not into you well why aren't you into me i are, are you transphobic nobody wants to feel transphobic you know mm. and in those communities it's social death to be um hmm. considered uh, a bigot to transphobe all the things that get trusted so i'm sure that there's kind of very soft coercion going on in the sense of pressure and i think that women aren't for, sometimes very good at resisting pressure, why should we be? We're told all the time to be kind and inclusive and to go along with things and that has its effects. I'm absolutely positive that has its effect. Um, so that's the sort of thing I'm worried about it's, uh, you know, we should be empowering lesbians to say no my boundaries are my boundaries, it's perfectly okay for me to be a female homosexual, I don't I'm not attracted to people with penises that's not bigotry, that's just the nature of my orientation there's no space to say that in in kind of trendy portland's you know queer communities or yeah. i don't know maybe even brighton communities is that um, is that
1: more acceptable in more mature communities in the academic community you think well, i
0: don't still... know i mean in the academic community it's not that acceptable either as my example just gave because in yeah. so queer conferences queer theory conferences um or feminist philosophy conferences there's this huge palaver about trans inclusive and no it, i mean i think the reason i've what i've said has been so shocking is because no one's really said it for a few years although obviously some people have like sheila jeffries has been saying it for years but the difference is that maturer people are generally better at setting their own boundaries and not giving a shit <laughs> and that's you know that's where i am now um, mostly <laughs> uh so i feel like i have to speak up for the people that are younger and that can't and you know which they shouldn't be subject to that kind of insidious pressure. Hmm. And it's it's really a lot of pressure, particularly when you've got really prominent people like Laurie Penny and feminists who look really cool saying, No, there's no problem here. You know, um, it's a poisonous lie, you know. And trans women are women and trans lesbians are lesbians, and it just must be so confusing when you're trying to work out hmm. what you are and your parents don't want you to be that way and it just there's already enough shit to deal with without adding this into the mix i think yeah
1: yeah yeah do you do you think that this is uh earlier you said that this kind of thing is sort of a fad but and and i guess you're speaking out about it Part, now yeah. Part, and kind yeah. of taking taking a lot of the heat so do you do you do you perceive that you're kind of setting an example and eventually more and more people will just say okay, this, enough is, <laughs> enough is enough, is enough. Yeah. We're not going to get on this road. Give
0: me a fucking medal. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I mean,
1: like, I, I'm just, I want to like map out like solution oriented thinking about this. Like how. I
0: think it it's, well, I, don't be... know, I, I swing about wildly part. I, when I said it's a fad, I don't mean it's totally a fad. I think transgenderism has been around for a while. Um, oh, okay. I think, I think gender dysphoria has probably been around forever. Yeah. And it may well be. And I think it probably, I think it is that, for some gender dysphoric people, transitioning is the right thing to do. There's also, you know, the fact that the numbers have increased so significantly in in younger age groups suggests to me that there is a social contagion kind of element too, yeah. um, and that and if that's right, it will just as like ten years ago. A lot of my students had self harm scars all over their arms um mm-hmm. and I don't see that so much anymore. I mean yeah, it's terrible, <laughs> but there was a there was a i would say a kind of trend in uh girls' huh. schools to cut themselves. that's what I observe and uh, sometimes quite often students would come in with lots and lots of scars in their arms, and I don't see that anymore I, just, I assume huh. there will be other trends you know <laughs> there's other there's a million ways for females to harm themselves, hmm. but maybe this is. This is just... Um,
1: but now some, it's the adults that are are uh-huh. pushing this and and going along with them, too. There's, say that
0: again. Say that again now,
1: but now there's the adults with the well, scalpels. Yeah, now. I
0: mean, that is a big difference. So when anorexia was a big sort of, I don't know if it still is, but it was a social trend um, again, I don't know, 15 years ago, I don't recall, although I wasn't really very plugged into it, adults defending anorexia I mean you've got this sort of pro-ana it's called the pro-ana community but I don't see many adults like post stage 25 30 defending the pro-ana community <laughs> what's really yeah one of the disturbing elements about this for me is and so my concern is quite often well usually as a woman the female the female <laughs> and yeah. the fem, in particular the sort of massive rise in female to male transitioning going on in the younger age groups you know whenever i try and talk about that i get this huge pushback from males like late transitioning males late transitioning males who quite often haven't had any surgical um intervention themselves but are quite happy to let girls cut their breasts off so (laughs) i question what you know what business it is of Forty-five-year-old males to get angry when I try and say, "Hang on a minute, what's the hurry?" You know, can we can we question this 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 issue in a sensitive, mature way? You know, what it, that is an alarming feature of it that, off the top of my head, doesn't seem to be replicated in in past situations.
1: What is the what's your guess of the psychology behind that phenomena, like older men?
0: Well, I mean, again, it's the myth. I guess it's presumably the myth of the community. <laughs> we're all these fucking communities. Huh. Um, you know, we're all in it together, and I'm just defending my past self. You know, I wish I could have done it then. Why, you know, get off their backs? There's hmm. nothing wrong with it. And I don't, I mean, I, people constantly mistake my misgivings for disgust. You know, I, I'm, I've actually, huh. it makes no difference to say it, but. You know, I'm friends with trans people. I have absolutely no zero disgust at gender nonconformity. How could I? <laughs> or
1: hmm.
0: people being trans. I'm concerned about sort of political and legal outcomes that are harmful and medical outcomes that are harmful. though you know those are the things I'm worried about. Um, hmm. And it's, yeah, I don't know what the psychology is that can ignore those harms. And this
1: is this is the um, this is the area in which you're going to start to do more academic. Well, yeah. Uh, um,
0: so I've yes, I'm writing at the moment about sexual orientation. That's my major focus at the moment. And then um, I'm going to write a book. Probably, you know, it'll take a couple of years. I'm, I think the emphasis generally will be on. Um, what it is to be a woman, roughly, whatever that means, um, taking on some of the bad arguments that I perceive in this area. I mean, right. there's some really terrible, terrible philosophy going on, pop philosophy going on in uh, in this area that I just... Uh, on, nothing, in, within the academy or
1: just out on the street?
0: No, no, no. I mean, well, sort of in the academy, but more more just out in the world, which has a real impact. I mean, it has an influence on policymakers. You know, the idea that sex is a spectrum, the idea that medical doctors just randomly assign sex at birth based on the size of the penis. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All that stuff. Endless, Endless use of slippery slope arguments inappropriately. So there's just a lot of basic... Yeah. Crap philosophy that I feel like I should sort out. <laughs> Personally <laughs> no <else> offended by. <laughs> yeah,
1: and do do you have um, do you see the need, or are you starting to look for uh, not a community but a coalition? <laughs>
0: <laughs> a coalition, yeah, that. Well, I've got a coalition. I think. I mean, I've, one of the amazing things that's happened is the number of amazing people I've met through doing this that are really uh sound sensible kind brave people and um hmm. so i've been doing a lot of building of networks and in academia so there's like i think i've got 150 people in an academic network now oh. um from across all the disciplines um and but i'm also meeting people in the media and um activists and psychologists and psychotherapists and um so there's a huge number of concerned people out there they may not be saying it because they're frightened mm. but they're there so i'm trying to build as many yeah. connections with people as possible
1: do you think that there that it'll get easier to speak about once people start speaking about it or i hope do you so. think that there's just going to be this so. social war
0: that's going to be I think really so. i ways. mean i think it's, it's going to be really hard in the states um because of Trump (laughs) and because of your incredibly polarised, you are Mm. in the States, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly polarised political situation, even more polarised than ours. I mean, um, Mm. Britain has a prime minister that stands up and says trans women are women. Uh, Britain has a progressive attitude to all of these issues, so it's easier to have a conversation without looking like you're a fascist, (laughs) Um, I think. A, c- a critical conversation about these issues but um, I, I'm sort of moderately optimistic it will happen in the UK because it seems to have already started like for instance um, a prominent politician Maria Miller who's the head of the Women and Inequalities Committee last week put out this article saying that well, seemed, she seemed to be rowing back from some of her previous statements about self-ID and the law oh. so that's a good sign yeah, I think it sounds like they're listening a bit yeah
1: hopefully. Yeah. Um, Do you think that the somehow like the wheels have flawed? I don't know if that's the right phrase, but progressivism has, has entered into a very rapid phase now. That's that's rapid
0: started, or
1: rapid. Uh <laughs> Well <laughs> um I guess both but I meant rapid <laughs> like it, it's just moving faster and faster and faster and 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 that's why we see the rise of of fascism being attributed to anybody who isn't on board for the next upgrade to human civilization and stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm not a great analyst of these big trends but yeah. you know I consider myself to be on the left um But a lot of the people I see online who call themselves leftists and progressives, I do not recognize anything very progressive about them or particularly anti-individualistic or um, anti-consumerist or any of the things I would associate with Hmm. the left. So I just think there's something happening where these terms that used to mean something are just getting emptied and they're becoming purely... Um, pejorative or mm. commendatory mm. Um, and are being used mm. as weapons like feminism you know everyone yeah. says they're a feminist now yeah. people who radically disagree about what feminist is so i think yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't know
1: yeah i wonder I, I i mean i've been following i went to a very progressive school that had a really big uh protest and it got shut down for a couple of days cuz the students just went crazy through the streets and um and that's what started me like talking about that specifically but then analyzing or at least going through and ta- uh, looking at these different very strong arguments for you know radical um privilege politics and oppression politics and and uh seeing in America like like for one example like like intersectionality makes sense as a uh academic uh analysis tool but once it gets into the hands of activism like just in the streets or on tumblr or on twitter it takes on a completely different face uh mm-hmm. and and a lot of like with feminism too like there's certain uh analysis tools like like just with the term patriarchy that makes sense in a in, in a, a way of like picking apart uh, or or looking at patterns in in society at large, but then mm-hmm. is reduced into a, a weapon. It mm-hmm. becomes weaponized when it when it comes out into you know political discourse just through social media. So it seems like what. We really need to do, and my opinion has been to what we need to do. The adults needs need to be injecting um subtlety into discourse and and providing uh tools and and analysis tools and and kind of backing off of the uh stoking of the hot topics, but like going into the hot topics and just very carefully, craftily well, yeah. taking it apart.
0: I think yeah, I I completely agree with you. It's it's sometimes it's hard. You can the reason people get caught up is because social media is incredibly it fuels emotion it rewards anger it rewards strong emotion yeah. um i notice i get so much more um i don't know what you call it um Respect. likes like so many more likes for things i write on twitter that are angry um yeah. they 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 really hit in a way that uh mm. more moderate stuff doesn't so um I try not to get angry that often although it's quite hard. Um, but yeah, I, I completely <laughs> I completely agree with you that that's what adults should be doing. Yeah. Um, we should all be doing it. Uh, academics should not be, my dad had this expression, he was a teacher, like, don't eat your ice cream with the kids. Like, academics should not be t- eating their ice cream with the kids, huh. if you know what I mean. As in, then don't try and be cool, be young, be hip. You're only going to mm. look like a fool anyway, uh, uh, eventually, if not. Yeah. Super I
1: wonder if that's not like the purpose of the humanities is to show is to cultivate pleasure in the subtler emotions um, in in mild disgust rather than outright hatred. <laughs> right. You know, like like to cultivate <laughs> I uh, was citizens
0: by your suggestion there. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know what the function of the humanities is, but that wouldn't be a bad thing. Like yeah. you could stop feeling such raging um, emotion well, so, because if,
1: if people are looking for more interesting arguments they will end up rewarding the people who are making those arguments um, but but the thing yeah. with social media is, is that you're always going to be yeah. rewarded en masse by the most common the, the lowest common denominator
0: exactly and I, I do want to say I don't think this is just a problem with intersectionality and feminism it's not It's it, oh it's yeah I just wanted
1: to right use that too. as a tool I mean, it's that,
0: happening obviously happening on the right too so yeah in my more depressed moments i think any sophisticated political discourse whatsoever will get emptied out in this way and used Hmm. in a way that Mm. um Mm. cannot control you just can't control and actually my so it's Mm. it's it's why i'm quite keen actually to to um to steer a course, because believe it or not, although my critics think I'm this sort of raging bigot, on the other, on the side of the rad, radical feminists, I'm, I'm, I often transgress with them too, you know. But I think it's really important. I mean, in the sense that I say things they really disagree with, and they get very angry with me for. Um, but I think it's really important to be true to your own views and to keep sticking up for that stuff, and not to think, oh, I'm not going to say that because I'm going to upset all my supporters, because you end up just increasing the polarization and mm. hmm. we need people in the middle or at least we need different points of view we,
1: we need people that'll take shit from 360 degrees
0: <laughs> yeah that's why i drink <laughs> <laughs> someone's got to do it <laughs>
1: well kathleen um I, I i know it's late there and uh I'm, I, I'm gonna let you go for now um okay yeah is there any, um, I'm going to direct people to your resources, but are, are there any specific resources that, that you'd like to people to look up about you?
0: Well, if you go to my Twitter feed, which is uh, docstock with a, two Ks on the end, not just yeah. one, and at the top, on, I've got a pinned tweet where I basically put everything that I've ever written in a populist sort of way about yeah. this issue. I mean, I did start because I thought somebody's got to, nobody's talking about this. So initially I was sort of finding my way a bit and I've got more sort of firmed up in my views since I started. But you can see my kind of intellectual progression. You can see, you can judge for yourself, whether you think it's um, transphobic, bigoted, awful or whatever. Um, That's all I ask. Mm. (laughs) Just read it like make up your own mind that's what i'm asking your viewers to do because uh, don't take someone else's word for what my views are why don't you go and see what they are
1: i'm toying with the idea of starting a website called every other day feminism uh, where it <laughs> alternates between men's rights and 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 feminist uh, philosophers. <laughs> mm, no.
0: So, no, okay, have, no, no, okay, you're not. I no, no, and I won't be. I won't be helping.
1: Okay, <laughs> I know that's a pretty hard sell, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, nice to talk to you. Anyway, all right,
1: doctor. Thanks. Have a good evening.
0: You too. Bye bye.